beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it was some months ago now that we were back in the beginning of the catechism in the part about sin and misery. And I'm not sure if it was this year or, or a previous year, but at some point I used the example of a train wreck. And I drew the example of two rails, the two rails upon which the train could move freely uh, were the, the, the rails of loving God and loving the neighbor, and how our sin, our fall in Adam, plunged us off the right track and into a disaster, into a great big accident, so that we were, we were not able to do what we were created to do. And so, since our sin and misery was described way back there in the beginning of the Catechism, we've been through a lot of biblical teaching. It has been made clear to us from the Scriptures that the only way out of that mess is the sovereign goodness and grace of God in Christ. And we've just come right through an exposition of the creed, and the creed is nothing more, nothing less than a description of who God is and what God has done. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the creed describes the content of faith. The creed describes what God has done to save sinners. And so when we get to Lord's Day 32, which is the third part of the catechism, the part that deals with thankfulness, the catechism has been for a long time, for many weeks, describing in detail the project to repair, to restore what our fall into sin destroyed. And we heard this morning, we heard on Good Friday, how much planning, how much time, how much energy, how much effort was needed for this project, how much it cost. It cost the highest cost in the universe. There's no greater cost possible because it cost the blood of the Son of God. It cost the cruel death on the cross. And now that it has been paid, we are set back on track. And that's why we're back in the third part of the catechism, back to talking about the law again. But this time, not the law as it accuses us of having gone off track, but the law as it is set before us as a joyful thing that we can do now in the power of the blood of Christ, in the power of the Spirit of Christ. Finally, in Christ, we can live freely as we were created to live, loving God and loving others. Now, as we scan through the catechism, as we scan through the scriptures, we know very well what bad things do when, when we do bad things, do things against the will of God, do things against the law of God, we know what that brings. It brings pain, and it brings suffering, and it brings brokenness. And it makes sense that after the Son of God has shed his blood to restore us, to heal us, to forgive us, to bring us back, to the right way, to set us back on track. It makes sense that the best way to show thankfulness for his rescue is to do good things, to do things in line with the will of God 
and the law of God. Now, if you've just spent an inordinate amount of time and energy and money saving somebody that's thrown themselves into a deep abyss, and finally they've just, you've just pulled them out, and the very first thing they do is jump right back in, that's not thankfulness at all. So Christ calls us to true freedom. He allows us to be free to do what we were created to do. He allows us to be free to be who we were created to be. And this is exciting. This is wonderful. We confess it at the beginning of the catechism, that he has set me free from all the power of the devil. That's the exciting thing about the Christian life, that the devil can't tell us what to do. He can trip us up. He can push us over sometimes. He can stick out his foot and make us fall down on our face, but he can't rule us. He can't control us. He's not our slave driver anymore because Jesus is on the throne of my heart now, not sin. And yet, and we know this as Christians, and the older we get, the more we realize it, he has set me free from the power of sin, but he has not yet set me free totally from the presence of sin in this world and even in my old nature. Because we still have the remnants of our old self in us, that old nature which says, don't tell me what to do. The old nature which when it hears the law of God shudders and, and really wants to cover its ears because it sees the law as oppressive and as a burden. And so we have this tension in us as regenerated children of God. We have this tension in us because with our new heart that God has given us, we, we love God's law. It is a perfect law of liberty, and we want to follow it. But then we have this tension with our flesh, the leftovers of our sinful self, the old me. You know, slaves are used to the routine of slavery. And if that's all you've known all your life, if you've ever only known slavery, freedom can be scary. And there are accounts of slaves in history who have been freed. The, the doors of the cell have been opened up and the slave driver has been killed or imprisoned and the slave is free to go. The world out there is so scary. They're so used to that place of familiarity that after looking around a little bit, they go back in the evening to their cell because they're used to it. You know, Paul describes that in spiritual terms in Romans chapter 7. This is Paul, the great apostle. This is Paul who can write the very words of God. This is Paul who can raise people from the dead and do miracles in the power of the Spirit of Christ. And there in Romans chapter 7, Paul is telling us, look, I, I have the same struggle that you do. Because I want to do what is right, but I, I often end up not doing it. My flesh, my old nature is hooked on sin. It is addicted to sin. And my new heart desires what is good. I delight in the law, in the inner man. I want to do good. 
I want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. But my flesh, my old nature, keeps interfering, keeps tripping me up. And what Paul is describing is a massive war which begins when God comes into your life and changes your heart. It is an exhausting war because it is internal. And you can't stop fighting for a moment. It's like paddling upstream on a pretty fast-moving river. And you paddle and paddle and paddle, and you're getting hot. And you think, I'm going to take a rest. And you stop paddling. And the river washes you down further than the progress that you've made. You can't stop paddling or you're going to be going backwards. That's what Paul was describing in Romans chapter 7. This, this old nature, this old man, this flesh, it's the way we act when we go into auto mode. Have you ever noticed that in your life? If you're not really thinking, if you're not being deliberate, I, I'm going I'm to do this for God. I'm going I'm to serve God. I'm going to do what is right. If you just kind of go into auto mode, you just kind of live without thinking, then very quickly you perceive that it is the flesh often which takes control and you start going backwards. And so in this struggle, Paul cries out there at the end of Romans chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because I'm sick of it. I want to get rid of it. Who will set me free from indwelling sin? And there in Romans chapter 7 verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Christ, as always, is the answer. Because Jesus has set us free. And we heard that on Friday and we heard that this morning, that Jesus is the one who sets us free. Now think about that and how many ways he has set us free. He set us free from the wrath to come. He set us free from the righteous anger of God against our sins. You think of Daniel's friends there in the fiery furnace. And they were brought out unscathed because the Son of God was with them in the furnace. And they came out without being burned. He saved them. But that was just regular fire. And then you think of what Jesus has done for us, what we celebrate at Easter, that Jesus has come to us as we are under the righteous condemnation of God and as the fire of his righteous wrath is to be unleashed upon us and Jesus comes to us and brings us through it and brings us out of it, out of the fire of God's righteous, eternal, burning anger against sin. He, he brings us through it. It doesn't touch us. It doesn't even singe one little hair. Jesus is the one who sets us free. He freed us from judgment. He freed us from the wrath of God. And he also freed us from the claws of that ancient serpent, the devil, who is no longer our master. Jesus has set us free. And the Bible says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And so there's the answer. And so Paul in Romans chapter 8, right after chapter 7, obviously, he continues to talk about what that looks like if Jesus has set you free. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is therefore now 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so we learn from the Scriptures that there are two types of people in the world. There are those who have the spirit of slavery. And you can see as he goes through the next verses in Romans chapter 8, you see him talking about this. There are those who have the spirit of slavery. They are slaves to the law of sin and death. They are shackled by their sins and their lusts. They are condemned to receive the wages of sin, which is eternal death. That's the one type of person in the world. And there's another type of person. And these are the, those who have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Those who are the free children of God. Those who are sons and daughters of the living God as Jesus is son of God. Loved and accepted and holy and reflecting the character of the Father, welcome in his family, and having a place at his table. That's the freedom we have, the freedom of adoption as sons and daughters of God. Now, there are two wrong ways to deal with this freedom, and the first wrong way is this, that we think, well, you know, if Jesus has paid for all my sins then I can just sin. And then at the end of the day, I'll say, Lord, forgive me, and then Jesus, God will wash away my sins in the blood of Jesus. So I just get a, I got a free ticket now to just live how I want because Jesus will deal with all the problems and all the punishments that my sins deserve. There are actually people that live like this. They cheapen the grace of God in Christ and use it as an excuse to live evil and wicked lives. The Bible forbids it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, live as people who are free, says the apostle, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And I already mentioned how foolish it is if somebody's spent a lot of time, effort, money, and energy to pull you out of an abyss to thank them by throwing yourself right back into it. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Christ did not die to free us to sin, but he died to free us from sin, to free us to serve and to love and to obey God. And if, if you choose sin on purpose, and if you choose addiction to sin, if you want to hold on to your sins, well, the Bible says that then you trample Jesus underfoot. It's as if Jesus is lying there on the ground and you're stomping on him with your feet. That's what the Bible says. You profane the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. You spit upon the blood of Jesus, which was poured out to free you from your sins and to wash you from your guilt and shame. If we, as children of God, we carry the mark of the children of God, we carry the name of Christ in the world, we know the gospel, we say we believe the gospel, we say we profess our faith in Christ, and if we choose to hold on to sin, not talking about falling into sin, 
and hating it. I'm talking about deliberately saying, I like this sin, I'm going to hold on to it, I'm not going to let it go. Then what we're doing is we're saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are a loser. Your blood is weak. You are ineffective. Your sacrifice on Good Friday was in vain. It has no power. It has not set me free. And so as Christians live in sin without repentance, it is blasphemy and a denial of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why the church will not tolerate in the communion of the saints those who love sin. So that's one wrong way to deal with the freedom that we have in Christ, that we feel that we're free to sin. There's another wrong way to deal with the freedom that we have in Christ, and that is to, to choose a substitute slavery, to switch out one slavery for another, to choose the slavery of the law and legalism, to pile up the, the musts and the shoulds and the you-have-tos and lots of to-do lists and lots of checkboxes and lots of things that you have to measure up to so that you never feel that you're good enough. Now, the devil doesn't care which way you mess up, brothers and sisters. He doesn't care which way we fail to live in freedom. He doesn't care he just wants us to fail to live in freedom. And so he's very, very happy if we sit there torturing ourselves and thinking, I'm not good enough. I, I didn't do enough Bible study. I didn't pray enough. I'm not a good enough mother. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough church member. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. Brother and sister, Jesus didn't die for you to be tormented like that. Didn't, he didn't die for you to feel that you're never going to measure up to his standards. That's not why he died. He died to set you free. He died to tell you that there is therefore now no condemnation. He died to tell you that you do measure up, that you are good. You are holy, you are righteous, you are acceptable. And so, Paul warns us in Galatians chapter 5, don't go down that path and, and create a whole system of you have to, have to, have to, to be a good Christian. And this is what he says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, there in verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the freedom that we have in Christ. The freedom not to sin. The freedom not to subject ourselves to a new slavery of legalism, but the freedom to love. And God makes it really clear to us because it's right there at the beginning of the law, and every Sunday we hear those words. Maybe we kind of skip through them because, well, the minister's always saying the same words every Sunday, but we should pay attention to them. This is how he introduces the law to us every week. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God prefaces the commandments by saying, look, you were slaves, I freed you. Now, would God say that, you know, I freed you, you were slaves, I freed you, and then suddenly give us 10 commandments to enslave us again? Is, is that who God is? is that, do we know him to be like that? Well, that's not who God is. We know that he's not like that. He gives us the 10 commands as a picture, as a guideline for how we can live in the freedom for which he has set us free. And so I'll just scan through the commandments right now, and you'll notice, I'll just go one, two, three, four, five, right through to 10. What, what does freedom look like if Jesus has set us free? Well, it means that we're free to serve the true God. We are liberated from false gods. We don't serve the God of drugs or alcohol or pleasure or money or, or slavery to any created thing. We are free sons and daughters of God. And we serve him alone, the creator, not the creature. And we are free to worship God according to his will, not by what the minister thinks, not by the latest inventions of the praise team, not according to human passions and desires and self-made religion with all kinds of rules, but we are free to worship God as he has ordained. We are free to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And we are free to speak and to live in a way which exalts and lifts up the name of God. And you, and you, you see it in the world around us, right? You see people, they're, they're sinners like we are. We're not any better than them, but for the grace of God, there go we. But you see when, when somebody is a slave to sin, that there's a special delight and joy in misusing the name of God. How much blasphemy do we not hear around us? And it, it enslaves these people who were created to be worshiping God. And the law of God sets us free from that blasphemy. We are free to rest in Christ, to just stop, to get off the hamster wheel, not to be a slave to work or to money or a slave to the idea that I need to have enough stuff so I can take care of myself. We are free to just enjoy time and fellowship and communion and rest with God and with his people, with the word and the spirit. It's incredibly liberating. We're free to live at peace in society, to be at peace with the authority structures of society that God has ordained, free not to be a raw bundle of nerves, worried that somebody's going to tell me what to do, but free to respect and honor and submit to those whom God has set over us. And we're free to love life, to care for children at every age, also in the womb, to care for and love the weak and the sick, the vulnerable and the elderly, and to care for our health, not to be enslaved to bad habits of nutrition or physical activity which harm our bodies and our minds. 
We're free to love faithfulness, to celebrate the holiness of marriage and family as a safe place of love and the creation and cultivation of new life and joy of eternal beings who will live for God forever. And we're free to celebrate that and to keep it holy and undefiled. And we're free from selfishness and greed, envy, dissatisfaction, free to know the enoughness of the gospel in Christ, to be satisfied in all and every situation, to be content because we know the secret. We know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are free from the burden of always needing more, always wanting more, always living on the cusp of dissatisfaction. And we are free from the lie, the lie which destroys relationships and reputations. We are free to love, honor, speak, and live the truth. And we are free from the covetousness, which is the DNA of the original sin there in the garden, that unsettling feeling of not being satisfied with who God has made me to be, with what God has given to me, the wanting of something else, the wanting of what is not mine to have, that which is against nature for me to have. We are free from that terrible and horrifying sin. This is the freedom for which Christ has set us free. This is the freedom that the law sets before us. You know, before our hearts are changed by the power of the Spirit, we look at the law, and because we're going the wrong way, the law is always accusing us, and I've mentioned this before in sermons, the law is always saying, wrong way, do not enter, turn around, entrance prohibited. It's always accusing us. It's always telling us we're wrong, and we hate it. It bothers us. It's our enemy. And then Jesus comes and does something powerful in our lives. He gives us a new heart. He gives us repentance, a change of the mind. He turns us around and points us towards heaven. And suddenly the signs, we're looking at the other side of the signs now, aren't we? The ones that used to accuse us are now our friends. The law is our friend. This is the way to glory. Yes, this is the right way. This is the way walking it. This is the way to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so the law is now a joy and our friend. Now, the scripture says this, the Lord is the spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Paul's saying that in the context of speaking about when God gave his law to his people. And when Moses received that law. And the more he heard it, the more time he spent in the presence of God teaching him the law, the brighter and brighter he shone. And then Paul says, well, that's what happens to us. That's what happens to us when the Spirit unveils our faces and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what happens 
when we come together as God's people, when God speaks his law to us, when he speaks his word to us, the more time we spend in the presence of God in corporate and personal and family worship, the more we shine with the brilliance and the radiance of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we are transformed. And when you know that as a Christian believer, then you can see God's law as freedom. You know, without faith, without the Spirit, we are blind to that glory. We are blind to the glory of God's law. We see it as something claustrophobic, something which limits us, something which clips our wings and makes our life miserable and doesn't let us do what we want to do. But when the Spirit writes the law on our hearts, when He opens our ears to hear it, and to love it, then we see it as glory. And so Jesus' victory, we celebrate it this morning. Jesus' victory has set you free to be like him. More and more as you shine brighter and brighter with the glory of heaven until the day when heaven and earth come together and we see him face to face. And that day, we will be free not just from the power of sin, but we will also be free from the presence of sin and the consequences of sin all together. And this is what God is speaking to us today. My child, love my law. Live my law. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the way along which I lead you to eternal glory, eternal, perfect joy in Christ. Amen.